Today on the Plant Cunning Podcast, we are thrilled to have Lisa Fazio, a local herbalist and author and astrologer. How are you today, Lisa? I'm great. How are you? Doing great. Doing yeah. awesome. Yeah, we were super excited to hear about another um, person on the plant path who's doing, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're into, like the astrology and magic and working with plants and herbalism. And you're within an hour from from us here in central New York. And so it's really a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better and to talk with you today. So thanks for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited, too, because I knew I've I knew about the plant cutting podcast, but I had no idea that you were this close. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. So just to ground us into place a little bit, I wanted to ask you, um, what is one thing or what are a couple things that you love about where we live? Oh yeah. So I am deeply in love, um, with place. Um, and I like to think that place is maybe a little bit in love with me. Um, it's been a long relationship. So, um, well, um, as you both know, I grew up in the Utica area. Um, and now I live in about 20 minutes north of Utica in the Adirondack foothills. So I've been in this region for my entire life. And so were my parents. And um, my grandparents were Italian immigrants on my father's side. And then on my mom's side, um, Irish immigrants who had also been here, the Irish were here a little bit longer than the Italians. So um, it's a post-industrial community um, and there's a lot of wildness mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, and and um, that means not just plants and other species, but also there's a lot of human wildness here mm. that um, I really appreciate. And um, I love my community. I love my rural community and I love Utica, New York. Um, It's a refugee center. It's one of the major refugee centers in the United States, as a matter of fact. Um, And just, there's a lot going on there. Hmm. Yeah, cool. It's, yeah, it's a really beautiful area and a really cool city. There is so much going on and yeah, the like you said, the nature and the people. It's there's a lot going on, but not in the sense of like if you go to a more progressive area. I mean, this is not progressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have a Whole Foods. We don't have a Trader Joe's. Um, if we've you got, want, what's we've that? Got Amish, we've got Amish uh, people. <laughs> there, there, you know, vegetable stands. <laughs> We've got vegetable stands and, you know, we, so we, we do grow a lot of our food. We have very rich soil where we are, um, we're on the, um, West Canada Creek, which is really a river. So we're on the, basically the ancient floodplain here. Nice. So very rich soil and relatively unpolluted. And in fact, the, I mean, the Mohawk river is polluted. But up here in the foothills, um, because it's post-industrial and pretty much everybody left um, a long time ago, uh, this river has actually been tested by the DEC. And it is, it's relatively um, clean. So it's under the level of um, toxic, which is 
is major in yeah increasingly rare in the increase increasingly rare so yeah. yeah unfortunately yeah that's one of the things like I, i'm i was born in in ithaca but i was raised in western pennsylvania which is a similar you know rust belt uh the appalachian plateau uh, allegheny plateau similar like environment uh but it's really polluted there <laughs> so it's and nice yeah. yeah, we're 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 fortunate. I mean, we're fortunate in a way, although we're not fortunate in the way that you know people don't have jobs. It's hard yeah. to find jobs, and so a lot of people have moved. But the other thing about living here is that um, you know we're very we can live very minimally, right? On, um, not a lot of money, right? Yeah. Um, which gives has given myself and my partner a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so land is still really inexpensive. I'm afraid to say too much because I kind of yeah, don't want <laughs> I know. Right. I don't, heard about don't, it. <laughs> don't want to blow open the secret. But that's yeah. why we're here too. I mean, yeah. we can we we could afford it and that gives us leeway to do what we want to do mm-hmm. with stuff like this podcast and yeah, all that kind of stuff. So So what brought you to the plant path? Um yeah, so I started learning about herbs when I was about 22. So it's been, I'm 52. So it's been about 30 years. And I would say that it was a series of coincidences um, and just circumstantial things. Um, But part of the drive was um, both my health and the health of one of my children. I have four children. And I had a daughter with chronic ear infections and respiratory infections. And I had grew up with asthma. Um, I actually have a mast cell activation syndrome, um, which took me a long time to figure out, but lots of allergies. So, um, but it was really her because she was sick a lot and we didn't have health insurance at the time. And um, we had been sent to an ear, nose, throat specialist who said she needed tubes in her ears. It was very expensive surgery that we couldn't afford. Um, and we were trying to figure out how we were going to do that. And somebody had said, um, just a random, like old friend had said, Oh, try garlic oil in her ears. And, um, honestly, now, if somebody had said that to me, I would probably have had to do like a bunch of research and like checked in with a bunch of people. I, I don't know that I would have been just like, okay, you know, so, but I was at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we tried it and she never had another ear infection. Wow. Amazing. We did other things as well. So then there were some like other coincidental things. Um, my first herb teacher who has since passed, her name was Sue Cross. She was a local woman who, um, well, I can tell a little story if you want me to. Yeah, I love please. That. So, um, so this is like around the same time. And my husband and I went down the road here to this um, watering hole, like a waterfall mm-hmm. and decided that we were, it was posted, but we were like, well, it can't mean us, right? So we went in and we were actually um, skinny dipping and a cop came down and was like, you got to get out of here. And this is posted. And they were like, he was like, but you might be able to go talk to the landowner and say, you know, maybe they won't press charges. And we were like, well, who are they? 
and it was like adjacent the it was a farm adjacent and we went in um over to their house and it realized there was this whole store there called mystical reflection so it was like this really new agey thing that the woman um um of the household had started this um this shop and oh. i got talking to her and she was like oh there's going to be an herbalist teaching here do you want to come to a class and so right. I went to my first herb class and that was with um, Sue Croft, who is actually from um, Bridgewater. Okay. Nice. Was, um, in the South West Winfield that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's right up the, right up the street. Yeah. Um, so if you ask around there about Sue Cross, um, you will, you'll probably learn a lot of stories about her again. Like she didn't have, a, this is before the internet. Um, yeah. And then um so she was self-taught. And so uh, I just basically started following her around everywhere. Nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it. Um, and, and bought myself a plant ID book. And um, the, the first thing she, she taught me about was just all the herbs in my cupboard. And she said, you know, a lot of that stuff, most Americans just use salt and pepper and sugar, but a lot of us have other herbs in the cupboard. Mm -hmm. um, and that's true. That was true. And so she said, it doesn't even matter how old they are, just dust them off. Um, <laughs> and they've still got some potency. Mm -hmm. And so I just started making like basil tea, like sweet basil tea. And mm -hmm. um and then just started adding a lot of herbs to more to our food. Mm -hmm. um, and I grew up Italian American. So, you know, I was accustomed to um, garlic, onions, um, and then basil was a big part of our cooking, oregano, parsley, but mm -hmm. um, I branched into many other herbs. Oh, mm -hmm. one of them was cinnamon. That was mm -hmm. one yeah. of them. Um, it, that I used to have my, cause she, she my daughter also, also used to get strep throat a lot. Um, and we had her garlic with, um, gargle with cinnamon. Oh yeah. Cool. So a little demulcent. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I mean, it's gross gargling with cinnamon, but it, it, yeah. so. that's one of those amazing herbs that a lot of people overlook. Uh, but it's it's right there in most people's cabinets and mm -hmm. it's got and you can buy it in the grocery the other thing yeah. about a lot of the those herbs that I first learned about you could just buy them in the grocery store I mean you can with food stamps or whatever like yeah. you can just like it's they're they're very accessible yeah I love that approach of like of first teaching your herbal uh, followers, <laughs> you know, like your herbal apprentices or whatever, in your case, you're just like following her around. So that's yeah. why I said followers, but, um, about like kitchen herbs first. So the things that are, are already in your household and yeah. Yeah. How to incorporate them more. I think like the kitchen witchery side of, of herbalism is a really good entry point. Yep. For sure. So, so then I just got, then, then I kind of got hooked. Um, and then another coincidence, actually, I went into the same store just to like quickly buy some tea or something that she, she had tea there. And I just ran in quick um, and she was like, oh, I'm having an herb class tonight and it didn't fill um, and I'll give it to you for half price, which was 10 bucks. Nice. And so 
um, she's like, do you want to come? And I was like, well, let me see. Cause I had like a newborn baby. And so I was like, let me run home and nurse the baby. And then I'll be right back. Let me check. With <laughs> and, I, and, um, and so I went and I, and I, and that was Kate Gilday. Oh, cool. Who had just moved to the area. I didn't know who she was at the time, but who had just, and then, then I was really, then I was like really hooked. And, um, <laughs> Um, and I spent, um, I'm still, uh, I feel like a student of Kate's, but I spent, um, 20 years, um, with her in both formal and very traditional informal daily, um, working with her apprenticeship. So, um, I worked for Woodland Essence, which is her company, um, gardening and, um, foraging, Mm -hmm. um, and packing orders (laughs) (laughs) and and making formulas for people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then I started, um, once I got more proficient in my herbal studies, um, I started going with her to see clients. Um, so I shadowed her for, um, many years, um, but I would say it probably took me 10 years of study yeah. practice before I felt comfortable calling myself an herbalist. Mm-hmm. Hard same. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's like a, a, a real apprenticeship, like a mm. traditional apprenticeship. A lot of times you can just, you know, do an apprenticeship in three months and then, then you're off, off on your own. But I mean, when you look back at a, a real apprenticeship takes a long time and you're, and you're helping them with everyday tasks. It's like the- yeah. You're helping them with everyday tasks and you're forming an, a personal relationship with them. Yeah. And that can be very challenging, you know, because yeah. you you um, you you form a relation. It's a real relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a student-teacher relationship. It's a lot of times like a parent-child relationship, <laughs> you know? And, and so like, um, I definitely challenged her a lot. And- um, that I, sometimes I think, oh my God, I can't believe she up with me. Um, <laughs> and then she challenged me a lot too. You know, I mean, there was a, there was, it wasn't, it's not easy. Um, and we were in the same community. So, you know, really like also there's a relationship between, there was a relationship between her and I, but then also, um, with the greater community. Um, and so then that also became kind of like a lot of responsibility because, um, you know, kind of like her reputation became my reputation. And uh-huh. then, like, right. So like, there's all this, like, um, that's very traditional. Yes. Um, and it's very collectivist. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's becoming rare and rare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just makes me think of, well, we, we interviewed Rosita Arvigo, like the classic, you know, case where, where she studied with Don Alivio for 17 years, you know, but that's this, it, she took over his practice at, you know, while he was still living actually, mm-hmm. but you know, he was a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but like that, that, that is traditional. That's the way that's, it's always been done, but it's also a little, it's a little scary too, because you know, if you know, your, she, her reputation is your reputation. It's like, you get that reputation, but also if she does uh, some things that are, <laughs> you know, unt- untoward, mm-hmm. <laughs> untoward, then, uh, that's that reflects back on you too. Fortunately, she never, she, she, fortunately she hasn't. 
great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, but I mean that I think that's also part of the process is like um is is learning ethics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like in transparency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as um effective communication or whatever you want to call it, like being able to, I mean. Like, I feel like this is one of the things like we're losing is like, oh, okay. Like you have a, you have a question or an issue about something with your teacher or anybody. Mm-hmm. And like, um, like there's a skill to being able to, um, um, initiate a dialogue about that and then like process it. And then like also be able to move forward with the relationship and like, um, almost like build on it. Um, yeah. or learn to get past it in some way or another. And I feel like um, with the internet and Instagram and, you know, which I don't, you know, I think there's really good things that kind of have come out of that as well, but like also like Zoom, um, you know, mm-hmm. apprenticeships. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I just don't think you're ever going to get that. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, sometimes it goes bad. <laughs> right. Like right. sometimes it doesn't work and yeah. sometimes things go to hell. And yeah. like, that's like, that's part of, that's part of it. Like it's not a controlled setting. Yeah. And then also sometimes like, well, think about Ros- Rosita, like with, um, with Don Alijo, like he, at a certain point, she realized some things that he did that she did not approve of, you know, for instance, like fixing love magic stuff. And that she you know had to deal with that but at the same time you don't just dispose of the person just because you don't agree with them on 100 percent, right and that seems so, to be really common these also days also you're supposed to have your your like the part of it also is developing your own relationship with mm-hmm. the practice yeah mm-hmm. yeah like you're not them you're right. not like yeah. carving copy so even though like you're connected with them you know like my practice and some of my students practices have um gone in completely. I have one student who's, um, a um, integrative nurse practitioner, like, you know, that was her, Yeah. you know, so it's like, I had one that became really got into like poisoning medicines and, hmm. um, you know, they, everybody's supposed to find, like, they're not supposed to do my practice. They're supposed to do their own practice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For definitely. Sure. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Um, but I guess the, the, what I was trying to get at was, was that, um, it's it, people are so disposable these days. Uh, like you throw the elder out with the bathwater sometimes. <laughs> you know, if they say, yeah, you know, and some of that's like our cancel culture. I feel like yeah. some of the that, and then like, and we don't have, we don't have methods of accountability. So yeah, that's and that's also important. So there, there really is. So in a in a village setting, you have accountability because it's sort of built into the the matrix of the village, right? Like you can't get away. Like, that's what I was saying. Like, I can't get away from, couldn't get away from my community. People, I have people in my community that have known me since I was four years old that still, that are my clients, Mm -hmm. right. That have come to me. So like, these are people I grew up with, like they know everything about me, um, including all of the stupid shit I've done. Yeah, <laughs> um, and like, and all the people that hate me because of something that I did that I probably deserve, right? So it's like, um, but we don't. So, you know, and even that's not really traditional. 
Like that's not like really being in a village um, where you are, you are accountable to everybody. And if you screw up, um, everybody's going to know about it and you have to take accountability and make amends for it. So we don't have that. And yeah. And I've talked with other herbalists about this in different recent circumstances mm-hmm. where it's like, well, how do we hold this person accountable? Is it even us to, up to, who is it even up to, to hold this person accountable? And then, um, you like, it's just not possible. Like we don't have a way. I'm not saying it's not possible. I take that back. I do think it's possible. Mm-hmm. I just don't think we have a way. And, yeah. and I don't, I don't personally think the way is more regulations, right? more, yeah. ex, more external regulations. Yeah. Um, but I understand why people feel that way, that yeah. we need yeah. like some type of standardization that we need, um, some way of certifying, even though a lot of times those don't even work because we know what happens with our medical professionals that just cause they right. just doesn't, but yeah. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. Relationships are difficult. Like being in community is difficult, but it's also like why we're here, I think, you know? And And then like, what are the deal breakers in terms of like, like your relationship with a teacher? Right. When do you really feel like, oh, I can no longer associate with that person or call that person my teacher anymore? Like, like, where's the line? Is there even a line? And then I think one of the other questions is, can you separate the teacher from the teachings? Mm. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. And then the other, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. like, like, and then the other part of it is, you know, I really do believe we have to be able to hold paradox. Yeah. Yeah. In this world to, in order to be creative. And um, I have a friend um, who we were talking about politics, actually, but um, she was talking about a specific person and um, she was saying, well, you know, we're all walking contradictions. Mm. And like, I feel like the idea that somebody should be consistently right or consistently politically correct or can have a consistent temperament all the time is very colonial and very <laughs> patriarchal. True. Right. Yeah. Like, so if somebody can't make a mistake or even have an opinion that may be missing some perspective or mm-hmm. what we feel like is missing some perspective, um, I don't know. It just seems very sterile to me. For sure. It's a good word for it. Sterile. Yeah, yeah. I think it's even it's almost more in- industrial. It's like the you know, like 20th century. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause life is messy. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Right. And we're all learning. We, nobody knows, nobody knows <laughs> for sure. Nobody even knows what we're doing here. I mean, this yeah. is always my thing. Like I just had, I had a conversation <laughs> with my husband the other day. I was like, I'm going to Google this. Like, does it like, and like, like, like what happens after you die? Does anybody actually know? And like the, like, Google even said like, nobody actually knows. Like there's a lot of people who think they know, mm-hmm. yeah. but nobody's ever done it and then come back and said, oh, this is what happens. I mean, I know we have these near-death experiences, but like, yeah. you know, it's not like five years later, somebody's like, guess what? You know, I was in the yeah. B ads the whole time. That's where you go. Like, we have no idea what we're doing here. Yeah. And even people who are like self-realized 
from for what I get from what they what they say is that you can't know that all you can know is your true essential identity even, and that doesn't necessarily, <laughs> you know, it, it's not part of the subject object world. <laughs> huh. It's so, non dual, so it's non dual. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's where we are. So to get back to your the plant path. Yes. <laughs> um so where where'd you go so you 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 apprenticed for 20 years pretty much I mean you say you're still working um but it took you 10 years to really feel like you could call yourself an herbalist yeah and I studied with you know I did I took a lot of I did other study with other teachers Mm -hmm. Matthew Wood was one of my I did apprenticeship with Matthew Wood um I did an apprenticeship with Pam Montgomery awesome yeah um I did some um different retreats and trainings with Stephen Buhner Mm-hmm. Um, David Dalton. Um, I mean, yeah, I've had, yeah, a lot. I've had a lot. many, many teachers over the years. I basically just like, you know, signed up for everything, just kept following it, you know, until, yeah. um, from one teacher to the next, mm-hmm. all the breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've then- had, I've had, I've had Mohawk. Um, I feel like I should mention like also, like that I've had um, um, primarily Mohawk teachers, um, Cecilia Mitchell, um, a woman by the name of, um, who's since passed Jackie Heyman, um, Joyce Benedict, Tom Porter. Um, Tom Porter has been a very big, I don't know if you all know Tom Porter. No. No. Um, well, he for a lot he started a community community in um, Fonda, New York, um, okay. called Ganajahalege, which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing right, but um, that was one of the primary locations um, for the Mohawk Nation. It was a large Mohawk village, um, pre-colonial Mohawk village, and so he um, started a community. He bought some land there. Um, bought the old Palatine nursing home on the Mohawk River. And um, so, and I believe he's, oh, I'm just kind of want to screw this up. I believe he's Bear Clan elder. He's a Bear Clan elder um, from, from, he came down from Aquasasne, which is the um, Mohawk reservation on the U.S. Canadian border. Hmm. And um, so he did a lot of farming and hosted a lot of workshops. Um, they had a yearly um, strawberry festival there and he did some Mohawk language courses. Um, and he invited other teachers in there. So I went to everything I possibly could at his place. Um, and now he, I believe he's retiring and moving back to Aquasesne. So I'm not sure what's going to, if somebody's going to take over the Mohawk community or not, but, um, yeah, he's great. You can find him on YouTube and just, I just really recommend just listening. He's got a lot of interviews cool just listen to him oh Tom Porter yeah Um, yeah. okay nice awesome um and so you also found time to study astrology during this period um yeah and that sort of happened at the same time um that when I met my husband um he was already studying astrology and with a teacher um and her name is Tiny Schuster she's like 95 now um um, and she still lives in St. Johnsville. Um, so uh, I started taking classes with Tiny. So my two main astrology teachers 
um, are Tiny Schuster and Karen Diamond. Nice. Karen so, Diamond. and that was, I wasn't like, so the funny thing about both these things is like, I didn't wake up one day and be like, I want to be an herbalist. Like that was not like I had, I went to college for psychology. Uh -huh. Um, I wanted to be a social worker, but then like I, um, had children and I was like the, the pay rate for social workers is like $15,000 a year at the time. So I couldn't even wow. afford to pay my babysitter. So, <laughs> um, so that, so, but I wasn't like, oh, oh I want to be an herbalist or, oh, I want to become an astrologer. Um, it was just sort of like kind of how it happened. <laughs> it was an interest that just took off. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's the best way. <laughs> <laughs> or it's a good way. I mean, I'm sure yeah. it, it, it's a good way. I mean, yeah. I guess, you know, cause I didn't have to put a lot of thought into making big decisions about it. Uh -huh. Um, you know, uh, so just kind of in the astrology was just like, um, I don't know. I just started doing it. And then, um, and the, the thing was like tiny, like for like, she, everybody would pitch in, we'd go once a week and sit around her table and she had a big dry erase board and we did astrology by hand, like with a calculator uh -huh. with logarithms. So oh, wow. we, we did charts. Um, and, and she would, we'd go through the delineation and it was like, everybody would put money in the hat for her. So it would be like five, 10 bucks or something. Mm -hmm. So it was like, you really couldn't not do it. It was so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so have you, in, do you integrate those practices? Yeah, I, I, I do now, you know, I did at first I didn't, I was really focused on herbalism. And then I found myself like with my clients, just, I kept finding myself like, so what's your sun sign? You know, like I was like, I need to, like, I kind of need to. And then I was like, wait a minute, I actually need to look at your chart because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell a lot about what's going on here. If I can see your, your transits, you know? So, yeah. wow. um, so I did start, I started, um, putting birth doing, time on the intake form. like, like medical astrology or herbal, what do they call it? Astro herbology, I guess. You yeah. Call it. Um, and then I think I mentioned when we talked before that, um, then I, I really kind of dove into that with, um, Judith Hill, yeah. um, and even went out to Portland for a conference, a week long training that she was doing there. And I really like her. Yeah, um, she's great. So those things also kind of pull themselves together. Yeah. The, medical astrology is really fascinating and it, it does give you a whole new perspective on everything, but <laughs> if someone has some issues, then you can see more clearly what's actually going on. Yeah. You know, and you could kind of, you could see when it'll pass too. You like, mm -hmm. you can yeah. see, you can, you can sometimes see the severity as well as like, um, you know, sort of ways out of it, you know, like, yeah. oh, it's a Mars transit. You really need to do some like labor. You need to go hike up a mountain or something and you'll probably yeah. feel a lot better, you know, or mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it's a quick moon thing going through, or, you know, it's a hard transit. Like you need to really take care of your health for the next, you know, yeah. you need to rest. You need to. So and yeah, super helpful. What I've been also uh, studying with Judith, seeing like the elemental, the uh, parts about it too. Like if, it, if, if the, if the depression is like cold and moist or cold and dry, like those are very different things they can look like the same, a similar thing if you aren't paying attention. Um, but it really, it gives more context, uh, for 
uh, energetics, you know, <laughs> which it are- gives a lot of context for energetics. And, and those are really major things because, yeah. so if you're going to like treat uh, a cold dry and like, if somebody's got a cold dry and you try to treat with a cold dry herb or something, you're going to make it worse. Um, the good thing is usually that that's also very telling, right? So like, if you, you're like, oh, okay, uh, let's try something right. else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, totally. So uh, you're also, I mean, you've got so many interesting things going on, uh, <laughs> but so you're, you're writing a book now about um, Italian folk magic and medicine. Yes. Uh, Want to tell us a little bit about that uh, and your, your background um, and why you're doing that um <laughs> yeah so um so uh i grew i i'm half i think i've said this already but i'm half irish like all of my mother's ancestors were born in ireland um and then half italian my um both of my paternal grandparents were italian immigrants and i grew up in utica new york which um means i grew up in an italian american community so um italian folk medicine and magic was a part of my daily life although I didn't know that that's what it was like it was right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you grew up with yeah mm -hmm. I grew up with it um and um part of my plant work so as I got into so okay some context um I grew up in the 70s and 80s and being Italian was not a fun or cool thing um, Italians were still really discriminated against at that time. Um, and there are folk traditions, um, were sort of something people were embarrassed of. Um, so, um, I rejected a lot of that culture. It was also very, it's a very, um, collectivist, um, very family centered, yeah. um, um, culture. Mm -hmm which conflicts with American individualism. Yeah. Um, so I rebelled like many of my peers and my community did. Um, but because I ended up falling into the plant path, um, that re it really sort of brought me back around to it again, because, um, and, and also I have to thank Pam Montgomery for some of this, because she's the one who really like told me what was going on with, some of the plants that I was um, sitting with and being with and working with where I was like this plant. And sometimes it was just the smell. Like I didn't even know the plant. Like it started really with just the smell or the taste of a plant that I would be like, this is so, there's something so familiar about this plant. And she said, well, it's an ancestral plant, you know? And then I started realizing, oh, a lot of the plants, um, and this isn't just my experience. Um, many people, um, that I work with have this experience and many of my colleagues and whatnot. Um, and, and so then I started, you know, what's going on here, you know, and then looking into the research of how uh, our ancestral and epigenetic memories are stored um, and how even like taste and smell, for example, is just one of the things that um, goes directly to our limbic brain, which is where our, which is our memory center of our brain. And so, um, and also having studied um, um, Chinese five element, Ayurveda, those were some of um, the traditions that I was exposed to. Um, I 
just really felt more comfortable or at home or familiar with um like greco-roman european trad traditional western herbalism um it was less of a reach for me and i i determined that was because i had the cultural context for it whereas like um chinese medicine um i don't have the cultural context for it. and i'm not saying i've had some amazing chinese medicine teachers who were not of Chinese descent. Um, and so I think people can do it if they are really devoted to the practice, but I just wasn't. So I, <laughs> I, I just kind of went with the low hanging fruit, um, which um, then, um, well, I could sort of shift here in the like narrative to also being a settler. So, and, and I mentioned I had Mohawk teachers and I was um, in a lot, I, I worked with um, Mohawk people. Um, uh, who were my friends. And um, I realized that um, I couldn't like really continue to connect with place if I didn't um, really understand as much as I could about my position here as um, a white European settler. Mm -hmm. And um, part of that was when I started really asking a lot of ancestral questions about who I am and how I got here um, and my own history. Mm -hmm. And was asked by native people to do that to understand that that one of the things that and this isn't all native people and i don't speak for native people of course um but the message that i got was you know it's it would be really helpful if europeans understood themselves as well as brought into their consciousness the fact that um there's been a lot of trauma here and um that we're positioned in a certain way in relationship to that and and that I don't need to be afraid of that or and I don't need to be in denial of that. And I can't be in denial of that if I'm going to truly have a relationship with my place. Yeah. Because that's part of my relationship with my place. For sure. Mm -hmm. So that's really when I started like um, doing ancestral work. And so what did you find when you started doing ancestral work and what did that look like for you? So I originally was like, well, I really want to know more about my Irish ancestors because that was a mystery to me. Mm -hmm. um, my Irish grandmother died when my mother was two um, and it's been men more generations of assimilation here than, um, and there's a lot of trauma as well because of mm -hmm. um, the famine and whatnot. Um, and so I was like, and also like it kind of got popular, like Celtic, like, yeah. you know, so I was like, ooh, you know, kind of <laughs> like doing that, like, <laughs> yeah. that, like, oh yeah. Um, but, and that's where I started, but you know, then really, really what happened was that my Italian ancestors were like, sorry, 
(laughs) (laughs) But also I already, so the thing is with my Italian heritage is that they were not my aunts, Italy, that's not my ancestors. I have family in Italy. Like we, I'm village that we visit there with cousins. Like I, that was not, like it, 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 it's ancestral, of course, but like I already had that. So again, it was like one of those other like things where it's like, I could reach for something that I don't really know anything about, or I could lean into something that I've already been enculturated by. Yeah. Um, and I was also like sort of unconsciously doing anyways, uh-huh. um, like, you know, just kind of part of who I am. Um, so um that's um that's how kind of ended up where I am right now and and then like you know so the part of the book is um also you know as I started doing this realizing a few things um one is that um, assimilation is a major trauma Mm. and that assimilation contributes to white supremacy and that part of my position here is to do whatever I can to um, divest from from that, from white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to understand assimilation as um, something that homogenizes us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and that there were a lot of um, younger generation Italian Americans who, um, and there are a lot of younger generation Italian Americans who did not have um, the um, upbringing that I had, did not have access to some of the um, original traditions. Right, they were um, already assimilated. Yeah, way. I mean, in the last like I said, I was, I was born in 1970. And so like, I would say like through the night, like once we got into like the 1990s and the early 2000s, like the, a lot of, um, there's been a lot of assimilation of, um, and dilution of Italian American culture, not so much here in the Northeast. Um, you can still find it, but, um, much less than when I was young. Yeah. I mean, I found that with like my, uh, lineage too like my mom's side of the family is uh, Mennonite Pennsylvania German and like her grandfather spoke Pennsylvania Dutch um, and like she was ra- my, my mom was raised in that culture but my grandparents were started assimilating mm-hmm. more into the the modern culture you know in the when when she was a kid you know so uh, I was ne- I never really had that like living tradition you know <laughs> whereas like our Amish neighbors like they speak Pennsylvania Dutch to each other all the time <laughs> yeah. 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 it's different I mean like when you have like the living enculturation and the, the living tradition um to yeah right there so do you have any examples of growing up um of what that Italian American tradition looked like and maybe some plants that were sort of a part of it? Yeah. So it's not a standardized tradition, mm-hmm, right? Right. So it's, this is yeah. some of it about like, there's no experts, um, but you know, like, and, and it's familial as well as regional. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and for me and most of us, I would say it's very, um, 
entwined with folk Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So um, most of it is, um, uh, is would look, it looks like Catholicism. That's where we get Benedicaria. Mm. Um, it's, that's an Italian American word. It's not from Italy. It just basically means blessing um, or blessing way. And, and, and some people just call it the things we do. Hmm. <laughs> cool. <It's> nice. <laughs> so, so it's like, it wasn't like, oh, now we're going to do some Italian American folk magic. It was like, <laughs> it was like Nona in the kitchen oh. with, you know, oh no, don't put that over there. That, you know, it's like a lot of what would be called superstitions. I mean, yeah. the most popular example is the cures for the Malocchio, right? Which is the evil eye, mm -hmm. right? With olive oil and water usually. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say olive oil, like if we're going to talk about plants, like okay. olive is definitely a sacred plant. Garlic mm -hmm. uh, is a major sacred plant. And in fact, was one of the things that the Italian Americans were discriminated against mm. um, for wearing our garlic amulets. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very common when you're going to school, especially if there's a flu or something going around to um, have your Nona or your mother or somebody to make you a little garlic amulet and wear it around your neck. Well, you know, no American kid wants to go to school with garlic around their neck. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I would say like, that's a lot of it was kitchen, what we would call kitchen medicine. A lot of it was um, in the realm of what we would call women's work um mm -hmm. so a lot of women held that um that tradition mm. um other plants you know i mean obviously uh basilico basil is like um very central um um yeah there's tons of you know all the parsley oregano dandelions Oh yeah. yeah. Danny lines. For Those sure. are great. Mm -hmm. That, that garlic seems like a really potent, I mean, it, and it's, it's, you can look at it from like a more scientific perspective, like the, like the garlic may be uh, producing fumes, essential oils that, that keep the viruses yeah. away. Um, but you also have like the spirit of that garlic plant around mm, your protective. Yeah. Well, know. also garlic is, a, is a plant of uh, San Michele, who's, Saint Michael, the mm -hmm. Archangel, and so when we use garlic, we're also invoking, and he's our he's a protective saint. Yeah, and so when we use garlic, we're also invoking San Michele. That's awesome. Mm. So, what are some of the entities that are worked with? Are ma mainly saints and archangels? Mainly saints, yes, and the and La Madonna, the Blessed Mother, and mm. <laughs> in, in all of her iterations. Um, you know, if you, if you go back far enough that you can find like, um, gods and goddesses, you don't even actually have to go back that far, you know, but like, if you, if you dive in, um, beyond like the folk Catholicism, you're going to find, um, the goddess Cibele, um, on the mountain of, uh, Monte Virgine in Campania, where now there's a Madonna that um, is worshipped on the mountain, same mountain that the goddess Cibele was worshipped on. 
um, Dionysus or Bacchus is um, very important to both um, Italian American as well as in Bacchus more because Bacchus is the Italian iteration of Dionysus, but um, still in Southern Italy. Um, and um, I mean, there's also like sort of um, in between um, what you might call entities or the strege, the yanara, um, the um, with what you might call witches who um, were sort of super, you know, were able to work with supernatural powers. So, you know, sort of in between that, but primarily we're talking about the saints in La Madonna. Nice. And yeah, so that also makes sense. Uh, just like looking at other traditions where like in, uh, in South America, in the Caribbean, um, you have like the African diaspora and you have working with Catholic saints. I mean, even in, in, um, in the Norse Nordic countries, you know, you had like St. Olaf was Thor. <laughs> so I guess uh, another question I have is, is, is just to get deeper into the, um, the blessing work, the Bene Benedicaria. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could um, elaborate a little bit more on like what that is? Like what is Benedicaria? Well, it's folk Catholicism. Okay. So it's, it's we're all, we're talking about it now. So like working with saints is Benedicaria. It's part of it. Okay. So all so of it is, is all of it. Well, so this is one of the things, right? Where it's like, one of the things that's become very popular in like, let's say the last 10 years is this idea of Italian witchcraft. Okay. Again, and I, I confess that I don't really know anything yeah. about so it. So, right. So it's like, that's, so, you know, there's a lot, there's been a lot about um, Italian witchcraft. Right. And so the, the, the thing is, um, and, and witchcraft in general has become um, popular. A lot of yeah. a lot of Italian witchcraft was, or the idea of Italian witchcraft was brought to the forefront by um, a person by the name of Raven Gramassi, who um, is highly criticized for basically making it up, like taking oh. his ancestral stuff and making it up. Because um, in the Italian diaspora, as well as in Southern Italy, this is mostly Southern Italian we're talking about. Um, there's these are all of the folk practices are syncretized with folk Catholicism. Right. And the word strega or witch is an insult. Right. Right. So the healers, yeah. the village healers are not going to call themselves that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yes. Um, there are people that might say, no, there is this, it's like, there's this, there was this underground witchcraft tradition, but like the, ethnographic information that we have that is that there there was not or if it was underground it was cloaked in catholicism right and they but there's a them. sorry go ahead yeah and they wouldn't call themselves some themselves strega i mean like it's the same in, but, but we do here now so so right. so like so this is like some of what we talked about before i think we started recording was like we have italian right mm -hmm. and then we have italian american yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And you yeah. have Catholicism, but then you have the Benedicaria. Well, Benedicaria is folk Catholicism. Yeah. So, which Italian witchcraft, which would be uh, Stregoneria, that's the Italian word for witchcraft, mm -hmm. which 
you know, if we're talking about witchcraft without Catholicism, that would be Stregoneria. But I don't think there's a way you can separate that from, at least not culturally. Okay, so like if you're if you're just creating this your own thing and you want to separate it from the culture, that's something different. That's not ancestral reclamation or revivalism because yeah. you're you know I mean maybe it's a, some brand of it, but like you're definitely extracting. You're gonna have to like tear those two things apart, or you have to bypass the uh-huh. Catholicism. Right. So, so part of the problem with it is that people are very triggered. <laughs> by Catholicism and, and yeah. religion. Yeah. But Benedicaria, so like for instance, if you're doing a, a, a Benedicaria prayer or a cure for something, um, you are going to be praying to, you're going to be saying a Hail Mary. You're going to be praying to a specific saint. You're going to be praying to Jesus. You're going to be using those, those Catholic prayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I totally understand this impulse too because like I was raised Christian, right? Um, but I was also raised assimilated into modern. Well, mostly, <laughs> you know, I was homeschooled and stuff, so it was a little different. But there's the 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 urge very quickly to be like, you know, screw all the Christianity. Let's go back to well, what is there to go back to? Like uh, Woden, you know. So you go back there, but then <laughs> there's not that living relationship either. Mm-hmm. And you've bypassed all of, like, if you look at uh, Pennsylvania Dutch folk magic, like, it's all about psalms, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's all about, you know, you can't separate it from the Christian context. Yeah. I mean, I think you can if you acknowledge that you're doing that, but I feel yes. like, right, right, right. Like, like, yeah, I, like I mean, I mean, I mean tradition, traditions are meant to be modified. And like, I feel yeah. like yeah. we're not going back. Right. We're gathering like some of the original information that we got from our from our from our people. We're remembering our ancestors and remembering our ancestral source. And and then we have to uh, like create a relationship with it. So it's relational knowledge and it has to be contextualized. So that's where it gets a little fuzzy because like this is like somebody mentioned one of you, I think mentioned TikTok where it's like, now you've got all these like Italian TikTok witches, right. Who are like young people, like doing spells on video for people on TikTok. And it's like the original transmission of this information was very done, very specifically Yeah. at a very specific time. It was actually done on Christmas Eve or sometimes on St. John's Eve. Um, and it was from, uh, an elder to a younger, usually a grandmother to a grandchild. It was not meant for mass consumption, right? Like, and so, but we don't have that anymore. And so like, how are we going to, you know, we have to change. Like we have to, we have to participate, I think, or it's, it will be lost. And and I feel like it's, it's worth saving or, or worth, you know, at least transmitting in whatever ways we can. And so like books are one of those ways. Like, yeah, I was just going to say, that's probably why you wrote our Della Messina, your yeah. book, but to preserve some of those ways, which is cool. I'm excited to see it. 
Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to have you back on to talk more about the book when it's when it's released, but everyone can look out for that uh, Della Messina from Inner Traditions coming out next year. Yeah, that, that is a really good, I mean, there's just so much happening right now. Uh, there's, it, it seems like a wide dispersal and uh, syncreti- well, it's not even the syncretization yet because it's, it's just like, there's so many different strands being broadcast all over. Like on the internet, you can get access to more esoteric texts than anybody ever has been able to. <laughs> but then there's like, there's not the context for it. And there's not like the direct like transmission. And it, it's it's kind of like more confusing. Uh, but well, a friend of mine and I were talking about this. So it's like, we saw somebody, there was somebody who posted like, I don't know if it was Instagram or whatever. It was like um, somebody doing Italian folk medicine, uh, a lemon curse or something. And it's like, so like you can put the instructions for a lemon spell on the, on the, on the internet, but that is not going to actually teach you anything about lemon, right? Like when we Mm -hmm. we're talking about like, so like our ancestors, they knew lemon, right? Right. They knew they had a relationship with lemon or whatever it is garlic um and it was a multi-generational relationship with and so the logistics of how you say a lemon spell and i'm just using this as an example i mean you could take this anywhere um isn't going to give you that relationship right uh yeah and so one of the one of the things that my one of my teachers, uh, Chris Warnock, who's uh, astrological magic, um, he talks about is looking at magic as a, from a cookbook perspective, you know, and to be a master, you have to be thoroughly, you have to know the information in the system thoroughly. And oftentimes, like in the past, that would come because you, you know, you knew the lemon, you knew the ingredients since you were a child and going back, you know, generations. Um, but then once you know those ingredients, you know how they go together and you know what a, what, uh, a talisman should look like or feel like or what, what a, uh, what a spell should look and feel like, then you can uh, make, your own, make your own recipe. Yeah. You know, I don't, I personally don't use recipes when I cook because right. I, you know, I know and my, my herbal potions too, as well. I, I, I mean, I did, but I, right. I started with like, this is how you do it. And so it's yeah, like, yeah. So it's like, we talk about Benedictari or Italian folk medicine. It's like, you, you start with watching how your ancestors even move, right? You, you mm-hmm. watch mm-hmm. the way their hands work around something. Um, so it's like, you watch their posture. Um, you watch what they do when something doesn't work out well. You watch them improvise, mm-hmm. right? You, you learn about improvisation. That's like relational. But, you know, I do think because of the circumstances that we're in right now where we don't have that, like, I do think somebody can like take a lemon spell and really start working with it. Um, And, and, but I think it just takes a lot of devotion. I think it takes a lot of devotion and a lot of practice. And I think, um, but I think if you, if, if you're really committed to it, you will form a relationship. I mean, that's, it's just like plants, magic our ancestors got it from somewhere, right? Like they started with something. Yeah. So it's like, um, 
you know, we are looking for our origins, but we're also creating our own. Yeah. Right. So it's like whatever that human impulse is to reach for magic, if that's what we want to call it, to reach for the divine (laughs) or whatever we want to call it, like um, that has not changed. Right. It's the same impulse that our ancestors had. And, and those traditions originated from that impulse. Mm. So if we, if we move from there in a, in a way that's really honest um, and really um, constantly asking ourselves and self-reflecting um, and then listening, um, I, I don't, I think we can do it. And I think we have to. Mm. yeah so in other words like i think this needs to also be accessible so like like we can't Uh like we're not gonna you know we're we're not i don't see this happening where we're gonna just all of a sudden like everybody's gonna go back to living this like idyllic village life with (laughs) right right Mm -hmm. well not anytime soon Mm -hmm. (laughs) in our lifetimes (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh who knows what's gonna happen uh But but that's the other reason for it. So that's the other right. reason for it. Yeah. Is that we don't know what's going to happen. And these tools are things that will help us to survive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So what does magic mean to you? Magic means to me that I am in attunement with the divine forces of creation as much as I possibly can be. Mm. I like that. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that a lot. I feel that. So it's presence. Mm. Yeah. And it's, and it's being in conversation. Mm-hmm. That connection. Yeah. Yeah. The conversation I think is an important element because it is like relationship. Um, yeah. Mm. So you, (laughs) you, um, you mentioned that you have students and that, uh, you make herbal medicines. And so if people want to find out more about you and about what you do, and if they want to get in touch for either herbal medicine or astrology, um, or learning from you, where's the best place for folks to find you? Um, the rootcircle.com, my website, I have a Patreon. There's stuff happening on there. Awesome. Is that um, the group circle on Patreon? I think I'm not you sure. find it on your website. Yeah, I think I'm calling it Della Medicina, but um, you can find the link to my Patreon on my website. Um, I'm also um, usually active on Instagram mm-hmm. at the root circle okay. on Instagram. Those are like the two main main places. But yeah, anything that's happening. For the winter will until like April will be um I am going to be teaching in Sicily in June. Awesome. Nice. Um and to find out about that, um you can go to um their website, which is it's Mary Beth Bonfilio. You can go to marybethbonfilio.com. Okay. Or find Mary Beth Bonfilio on Instagram. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Lisa. This has been fantastic. And it's so nice to actually get to meet you. Yeah. 
Yeah, nice to meet you too. The internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, enjoy the rest of your day and thanks again. Yep, you too.